If you're a Star Trek fan, you should listen to Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast for sci-fi fans with a life. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, this is Chase Masterson, host of Disco Nights, inviting you to join us every Sunday as the disco party continues with our fabulous guests. Like us. Like us. Like you. And you, our audience. So we'll see you here next Sunday night. Bring your disco shoes. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by Jodorowsky's Dune producer Steve Scarlatta and Josh Miller, where they explore some of the greatest movies that were never made, from E.T. 2 to Tim Burton's Superman, Night Skies to Star Trek The Academy Years. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And this is a 430 movie encore presentation. It's video game week. I hope you brought your roll of quarters. Well, you know what this episode, you know, the only thing I remember about this episode is this is the episode where Ashley picked that Fakakta movie Cloak and Dagger and we never let him forget it. Remember? It was like he would pick Cloak and Dagger and that was when we realized that Ashley was a lunatic. He's the wild card. He was the Dabby wild card. Dabby Coleman. Yeah, Indeed. Exactly. And Henry Thomas, right? Yeah. 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 So Tom Holland's Cloak and Dagger. Um... Was it Richard Franklin? I don't remember. Anyway, whatever. I just, you know, I, I just remember. Obviously, we have joining us here to talk about this, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. Yeah, Robert Meyer Burnett is here from the Burnett work. And, you know, the funny <laughs> thing about Rob, uh, Rob, it was like Cloak and Dagger. I don't think we picked one movie that was actually based on a video game. It right. was like Tron. Well, you'll hear it when you listen to the episode, but uh, video game movie. Rob, what do you think? I would think about the segment from that anthology movie, Nightmares. With the Bishop of Battle. Oh, that's hysterical. Wow. That's a deep cut. I love that. Deep cut. That's great. I had them um, in college, I think, because I worked at a video store in high school, the Nightmares One Sheet, which is a great with the it two hands. Gr- yes, ah. a great one and sheet. I had that one sheet. I didn't have it in my room at home, but I think I took it to college and had it up for a little while in college. Yeah. I love that one. The sheet. Bishop. I I've never the seen Bishop that movie. Battle. Actually. Oh, there, there's a. It's called the Bishop of Battle, right. and it is a video game. I, I know, like what the segment is, and like everything. <laughs> I just never seen the movie, but I love the one sheet. One yeah. of the one of the one of the segments is called Terror in Topanga, and I used to live right off Topanga Canyon right. Boulevard, and I felt terror every night. Wow, <sighs> that is wild. But yeah, you know, we, it's funny because Cloak and Dagger really became a runner. We never let Ashley forget that he picked Cloak and Dagger after yeah. that. Well, you know. But it was funny. His way. There was no like Resident Evils or any of these, you know, uh, Mortal Kombat. Or we, we. It was funny that you know you think video game movies going to be about movies adapted from video games. Did we talk about Mario Brothers? I don't think we, we talked did. about it. I think I don't think we ever. I mean, we're all Bob, Bob Hoskins fans. Don't right. get us wrong. But, <laughs> and John uh, Leguizamo. I don't think we ever. I don't think you know. I mean, we talked about Speed Race. No, not Speed Racer. I forget what we talked about. It was a long time ago. That's why we have these special encore presentations. So because if we've forgotten them, you've certainly and, and, forgotten and, about and, them. And listen and, and enjoy the conversation and uh, re, you know these great theme weeks that we curated for your benefit. And now is the time during the off season catch between up. season one and two to catch up on episodes you may have missed and watch the movies. Except the one Ashley's picked. <laughs> you watch the movies and 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 then that way you know you can tell us uh, did we get it right or wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, you'll find out as you listen to a special encore presentation of Video Game Week only on the 430 Movie. We'll see you back with all new episodes later this year.
This is Mark A. Altman, and you're listening to The 430 Movie. Welcome to Video Game Week. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 430 movie. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you never saw and get reacquainted with some old classics. Now, on the 430 movie, we take over the vertical and the horizontal and put together our dream theme weeks that you could watch at home and relive the glory days of the 430 movie. Welcome! Our regular panel of programmers are back, starting with the great Stephen Melching, a writer for such series as Batman, The Brave and the Bold, X-Men, The Animated Series, and Star Wars Rebels. Welcome, Steve. Mark, I've got a Pac-Man fever, and the only (laughs) prescription is a video game movie. Nice. (laughs) Well, we should really find you a prescription for that. Um, Okay, Darren Docterman is a conceptual designer for films and TV series such as Master and Commander in the second season of Westworld and the designer of our fantastic logo t-shirts now available at 430movie.com. Including our wonderful 430 Movie logo so that you can walk around and have people ask, what the heck is that? And then you say, I just gave it five stars on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> and you should subscribe right now. And last but not least, Ashley E. Miller. The E, as we've learned, stands for evil. Writer for <laughs> such films as Thor and X-Men First Class, and TV series such as Fringe, Black Sails, and the upcoming Lore Season 2 on Amazon. Welcome, Ashley. Hi there. <laughs> Video game movies. Wow. I I mean, you know, this is going to be a short week. (laughs) Now, are are these movies that just look like they're video games, or are they based on video games? What are the parameters? You know what? My guess is they're maybe not based on video games, because let's face it, an awful lot of these video game adaptations aren't very good. I would say perhaps they should be movies that require the idea of a video game to be at the heart of its story. You know, it's funny. You remember a few weeks ago, Ashley, I asked to recuse himself because he had written uh, X-Men First Class and, um, you know, that's a great movie. Sadly, I need to recuse myself from some video (laughs) game movies I was involved with for a totally alternate reason, although I can't imagine showing any of them on this movie because they're awful. Because you you created Tron, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, look, it's to to regale you with stories of the uh, sad and tragic making of House of the Dead would be uh, far too long um, for this podcast. But the stories I can tell about that crappy movie um and uh, then you know i also did uh, dead or alive which is somewhat better and did a bunch of uh, drafts on that and uh, all i can say is um my script was better <laughs> 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 but you'll never see it so uh anyway um video game week i i think uh you know video uh game movies are are whether maligned for the most part whether fairly or or not um i'm going to be really interested to see what this week's going to shake up, shape up to be. So uh, let's start with Steve, Monday. Well, you know, I don't think you can kick off uh, a video game movie week without the granddaddy of them all, the movie that arguably started the whole thing, Disney's Tron. 
1982. I mean, this is a film boop, boop, that, boop, boop. <laughs> end of life. that was uh, conceived to take place, you know, inside uh, the computer world, uh, although video games are at the heart of it, as um, we all know that Flynn was the uh, designer of a number of incredibly popular video games that were stolen from him. Yeah, Space Paranoids. <laughs> He was the best Zaxxon player in the universe, <laughs> and the chicks dug it. Look, I'm still, you know, 40 years later trying to get over that wall in Zaxxon, the first 3D game. That was not easy. It I wasted was more oh quarters trying to get over that first wall. Yep. You know, we should be recording this from Flynn's, Flynn's Arcade down in Culver City. You know, well, that's where maybe we, we are. Maybe, maybe we are. Maybe they just don't know it. <laughs> Could be. Could be. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's uh, legend has it that this was one of Al Gore's favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> because he invented the internet. Um, in a but, uh, you know, it was a really fantastical, fun movie that uh, had to kind of create a whole new sort of uh, lexicon and, and uh, visual language for the in- inside of a video game. Like, how do, you, how do you imagine what the inside of a video game is? How would you do it, Darren? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and of course, it spawned uh, you know a lot of imitators. Uh, Auto Man on television, oh. um, the sequel Tron Legacy, which I think was half of a really great movie. I love the first half of that movie. I got to work on that, and that's all I'm going to say on that. It was a beautiful looking film. It certainly it was, was immaculate. The score, actually, the score of both films is terrific. The Wendy Carlos score in the original Tron is terrific, and the Daft Punk score in Tron Legacy is amazing. I think that is the greatest legacy of Tron <laughs> are, the, are the scores uh, by Wendy Carlos it had a great and later. Setup. It had a wonderful setup. Uh, the Tron Legacy um, and uh, and well, the, the the animated series Tron Uprising was actually quite good as well. Yeah, well, it know, sort of fell apart in the last scene when we were expected to believe that a uh, a woman who came from a video game world was super impressed when she saw the skyline of Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where we filmed House of the Dead. Uh, so. But of course it starred, you know, Jeff Bridges, who's awesome in anything. And then, yeah. um, oh gosh. And Bruce Boxleitner. Bruce Boxleitner is yeah. Tron. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, oh my gosh, why am I suddenly blanking on her name? Cindy Williams. Cindy Williams. But not no, Cindy not, Williams not from Laverne Cindy, and No, not Shirley. Cindy Williams. That's and not her name. Different Williams. It's, no, it's, uh, it's Cindy, Cindy Morgan. Cindy, Cindy Morgan, Morgan, yes. I'm sorry. Cindy Morgan. Yes. Uh, Captain of course, Morgan. from uh, Caddyshack uh, yeah, as right. well. Um, and, you know, who who didn't dream of getting digitized and going into, you know, playing? A, you know, video games were incredibly popular in 1982. Yeah, I prefer uh, Steve uh, Lisberger's other classic, Electric Dreams. <laughs> uh, you know what? I love... <laughs> I'm dying, apparently. You guys are getting, like, this is uh, a recording of Ashley's death. You're getting de-resolutioned. <laughs> totally. Um, I love Electric Dreams. So uh, why? Virginia Let's Madsen talk about that is like it's so unbelievably beautiful in that. It's like she of course is. the computer falls in love with her. It's like I remember the song that he wrote for her. Oh God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Madeline, I love you two bits, and I. <laughs> um, but uh, no. Did we talk about David Warner in this movie? Oh, David Warner's fantastic. You read my mind. I, I you can't talk about Tron without talking about David Warner. Who's just so, and that was the height of his powers. I mean, he was in Time Bandits. He was in Tron. He was the villain in everything, you know. And and you know now you have these guys. It, I think the mantle sort of passed to J. T. Walsh, right. you know, before he died. And now it's sort of like, um, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's like the villain? And then it was Rick Alan Rigman for a while. And then you know, and now, of course, David Warner was also like, in Time After Time. 
And John Voight was uh, the villain in all these things for a while. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, I, I had the I was fortunate to have the opportunity to work with David Warner. He he did a lot of uh, animated series voices uh, in the '90s and 2000s, and he was a regular voice on the Men in Black series, and he was just delightful. <laughs> Yeah, I met him once, and 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 he was great. I mean, he's so great they brought him back from Star Trek Five for Star Trek Six. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, the 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 never forgettable Sinjin Talbot from Star Trek Five. <laughs> what the heck was he doing there? That's no a, one knows. That's a, he, he was much better as the Klingon uh, Chancellor Gorkhan, not to be confused with Gorbachev. Um, so my, you know, the one thing that you didn't mention, of course, is the groundbreaking visual effects. You know, this was really the very early. Uh, CGI uh, world, and and it's pretty remarkable what that group, uh, like Richard Taylor, I'm sure, Aaron, yeah. Darren, you can talk more about that, uh, did uh, at the time. Well, the, the thing is, it was a combination of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It did have, uh, you know, one of the first uh, CG representations that would have been used uh, with models. Um, for example, the light cycles and uh, Sark's uh, carrier and things like that. Uh, but it's also uh, a backbreaking amount of traditional cell animation going on. All those, uh, all the live action in the computer world had to go through cell animation to make the glows and all that sort of stuff. And it's a incredible amount of uh, laborious work. And uh, it's just, an, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that they got it done at all, yeah. actually. Um, but um, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, they had to, they, they created these Codalith frame enlargements, mm-hmm. did the animation over and then re-photographed the entire film. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Well, uh, all the, all the all film, the that, all the film that was in the computer world. Yes. Because yes. that's all in black and white and then retinted. In on the animation stand, here's a unbelievable fun fact, which has nothing to do with the movie. It was the um, the first press screening I ever went to in 1982. Wow! I was you know, and I think freshman in high school or something, and I had my little fanzine, Galactic Journal, and was invited to the press screening, and I went went to see it. And I remember I was so excited about seeing it. I had the pass, and it was all printed out. And Tron, they gave you the little card. They used to give you these cardboard things, which had the cast on the back and on the front. It had the picture of them with the newspaper. Are you from? I'm <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, in fact, my parents couldn't take me, so we found a family friend to drive me into Manhattan to take me. It was really funny, but um, I I just remember you know being really um, not a fan at all of the movie <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and and in fact, you know what pe- we talked about the black hole a couple of weeks ago on Shadow Star Wars Week, which was another attempt by Disney. But this is it was you know Disney people can't imagine what it was like back then. You know now Disney owns the world, but back then they, they couldn't do anything. They, they were, were struggling. struggling horribly. They couldn't do anything right. Um, they were attempting to get the animation division back. You know, with Black Cauldron, which was a bust. You know, live action. They this didn't was still know years before the Little Mermaid and those kind of the resurgence. Yeah. Of totally. And, and Tron was supposed to be the film that you know put them back. You know, like a real studio. It'd be a real boy again. <laughs> and um, and it did. It, it you know, despite what the, the esteem we hold it in now, it was not a successful movie. Well, remotely. In 1982, of course, was an incredibly crowded oh, year for God. genre, arguably the, the greatest best. genre year ever. Well, we I, should do I, a panel about that. I, at <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think, I think that, uh, that we probably uh, will have to do a special report uh, <laughs> yeah, do a special on, on uh, 1982 uh, in, in, fu- in a future podcast because, of course, it's such a seminal year and we've all talked about that. And that was the beginning of our legendary comic book, uh, Comic-Con panels each year where mm-hmm. we do... 
1982 greatest geek year ever and you know subsequently what are we up to 1988 greatest geek year ever not yeah no (laughs) um i saw tron i think at exactly the right age um because i five i was five yes uh no i think i was i might have been 10 years old when i saw it and uh of course i had obviously never seen anything like it um i wanted to live in that world and the thing that I found most exciting about it, other than Cindy Morgan, was um, <laughs> was uh, there were there was a video. I mean, it's this is the serpent swallowing its own tail once again. There was a video game. There was a Tron video game mm-hmm. that was on the Intellivision, oh, which I yes. had, oh, and I love Deadly Discs, it. right? Tron yeah, Deadly Discs. because yeah. I could pretend like I was in the movie. Now, did you get a frisbee and go out and try to actually do de- discs of Tron with your friends oh, yes. in the yard? Yes. Oh yes. Sometimes my enemies. I, <laughs> I, well, I killed I, two friends with frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> the television game was great, but the arcade game was oh, amazing. Oh, yeah, sure. The arcade game is still amazing. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, didn't you have a choice of three different games? You, you had four. to get through uh, four, four different levels, wor- levels yeah. worlds, um, and you know it. It was just enough representational of the movie that it was. You know, interesting and exciting, and but some of the times the levels got really hard, and it's tough to. It's certainly tough to get past the uh, the light cycles when they're going full full force. Well, and I think wasn't there a case where like this was a the video game that was based on the film, but mm-hmm. then they added an element from the video game back into the film. Well, the funny the thing bugs. is when we were when right. we were working on developing um, uh, Tron Legacy, uh, that video game was going to be. We, we, we were going to take a, a Tron cabinet and make it into space paranoids, oh, you know, nice. and, and decorate it all like space paranoids, and that was going to be the game. But then pretty late in the in the pre-production, they decided, you know what, why don't we just make this the Tron video game? And that was the game afterwards that, uh, that he was very successful on. And I guess that's okay, but it, it takes a little away from, you know, taking the actual story from the first film mm-hmm. and making yeah. it real. Yeah. And, and still to this day, uh, the Tron Legacy pop-up arcade at San Diego Comic-Con was one of the greatest things I've mm-hmm. ever been to. They recreated Flynn's Arcade in downtown San Diego, filled it with vintage games and Space Paranoids cabinets. You could actually play Space Paranoids from the, the original movie. One more little story mm-hmm. I got to when I got to work on the sequel was that I got to go with the art director to um, – uh, measure the original mm-hmm. uh, Flynn's arcade location in Culver City. And um, it was a lot of fun because the building is still there. Yeah. It looks exactly the same. For rent you right can now. Still, you can still see the holes in the top facade that they used to attach the neon sign. <laughs> um, and uh, so I measured it out and I, I did a, a bunch of... Uh, the stuff that I did for the movie was basically in the real world. So I got to do the painting of what... Flynn's arcade looked like today and mm. things like that and that was a lot of fun but it was uh, it was fun to sort of revisit those areas from the original that uh, you know it's fun to think about how they would exist today mm-hmm. oh that's so cool so uh, we all agreed Monday uh, on the 430 movie you, you Tron got you got sure. it Tron great well before we move to Tuesday Steve uh, we need to uh, interrupt our broadcast for a brief commercial message from one of our sponsors <laughs> oh my gosh uh, yes well um, when you are, let's see, who is our sponsor for today? Uh, well, today's podcast is brought to you by Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, where the future begins tomorrow. A growing, excited company. 
Thank you, Yo-Yo Dine, for your support of the podcast and the red electroids. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting for the check. <laughs> okay, uh, and next we're going to go to Tuesday. And Darren, would you like to suggest a film for I Tuesday? I would love to suggest a film for Tuesday. Mine is not necessarily a video game, but... <laughs> this is a hell of a video but, game week. <laughs> but, no, but it's the biggest video game of all. It's War Games. Oh. oh. The second press screening I went to. <laughs> 1983. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, Matthew Broderick at uh, arguably the height of his uh, popularity. Um, and uh, it's just, it's such a fun sort of... Uh, link into how things were for a teenager in that time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's still very uh, uh, fake and movie-like, the <laughs> kid hanging around in the, in the arcade and having to go to school and giving lip to the teacher and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it, it is sort of the kind of life you would have liked to have had if you had, you know, an OMSI computer in your bedroom and could, uh, you know, dial up uh, all the phone numbers that you could and then erase your bill. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's such a, a, an interesting look into the future of the Internet, actually. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's uh, the infancy of this sort of technology and sort of how it would uh, – how it would expand over the next uh, two decades uh, is just amazing. And it's sort of one of those uh, movies that is a touchstone for, I guess, hackers and things like that. Uh, and to... Ali Sheedy fans. Well, it was well, definitely one of the earliest depictions of hacking, at least that Absolutely. I remember. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but one of the greatest parts about it is that first scene in the uh, missile silo. With uh, with uh, the two uh, men manning the uh, the station, and they get the they get the signal from headquarters that uh, we are on launch, and they have to confirm it and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, one of them has uh, second thoughts, and and you cut to the shot of uh, the younger guy uh, holding a gun up to the head of the other guy, saying, "Pull your turn your key now, sir." It's just. It's just really well done, and it sort of just sweeps you into this uh, big story about this kid who gets uh, uh, swept up in this uh, international uh, uh, intrigue, and it's uh, a lot of fun. And, of course, you're you're at the height of Cold War nuclear paranoia as well. There's actually an interesting story about the development of war games. It's not sort of commonly known. Um, I did a lot of work at one point with uh, with Walter Parks, who wrote the movie, Mm -hmm. and when he originally was assigned that film, it was supposed to be something completely different. The The plot that they were expecting, the story they were expecting to get back um, was, was much closer to real genius than mm. what we got. Mm. Um, they were apparently late with the script by like six weeks and they turned it in and it didn't at all resemble what they said they were going to write. <laughs> Um, and they thought they were going to get fired, but luckily everybody thought that the script was was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love war games, although you know I sometimes have a problem connecting to it as anything other than fantasy, just because once again we have this story about this kid who is um, this very successful computer hacker and and nerd, and he has a really hot girlfriend. <laughs> right? What are you two doing? Well, I thought we'd start off with some kissing and move on to the fancy stuff. I mean, also, very witty for a guy who sits behind his, uh, his computer all day. Um, but I'll go with it. It's aspirational. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you know, 
I, would you like to play a game? Yes, I would, because I think War Games is just a terrific movie. It's such a great product at the time. It is that kind of early 80s government paranoia movie, mm -hmm. because you saw it in E.T., you saw it in War Games. The government's coming for you. They're going to sweep you. It right. was like, and it was like this post-Watergate kind of thing, but it was always the kids they were coming it's for. It's kind of like Three Days of the Condor Babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if you haven't seen Three Days of the Condor, that is a very funny joke. I'm just letting you know. Uh, that's, uh, that's hysterical. Um, and you should see Three Days of Condor. When we do Spy Week, we'll have yeah. to put that in contention. Yeah, you know, to get back to my press screening story, I remember <laughs> it vividly. I, I left high school early so I could go see war games at the MGM building in New York at the time. And um, I missed my stop on the subway and I ended up like, God knows what horrible neighborhood. I'm like, what, what happened? I totally realized. And, and then I, I had to go across and I got, I still remember this today vividly. And then I got on the train and came back and just made it in time. And I was like, oh, exhausted. And, and, and I, 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 when the movie was over, I'm like so glad. It was so great. I, was, I, I haven't watched it recently. How's it hold up? I, I watched it uh, just uh, a couple months ago. I, I still love it. I think yeah. it's great. Um, the uh, you know the soundtrack is a little you know eighties yeah. and dated, but it's still a lot of fun. And you know it started out with a different director. It started out with Marty Brest directing, mm. and uh, for some reason there was uh, creative differences, and he quit or was pushed or whatever. And then John Badham. And came then John in. Badham yeah. came in and finished it. And it's uh, I I love it. It it its tone uh, manages to sort of dance on the serious and comedic. And it does it really well. The uh, you know um, uh, the secondary characters are all extremely well cast, and uh, I just think it's a lot of fun. That was a great year for John Badham. Didn't he also have Blue Thunder that year? Eighty three. So I think so. Yeah. When we do uh, it's Helicopter Week. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't Auto crazy gyro. about this movie initially for an, kind of an odd reason. My father was an officer in the Air Force. Mm. And uh, in 1983, we were he was stationed in NORAD oh, in Colorado Springs. So uh, a couple years after the or yeah, about a year after the movie came out, we actually got a tour of the Cheyenne Mountain Complex, which at the time was a very rare event only for immediate family. And mm. I remember being super excited getting to drive up and there's the tunnel that goes into the mountain and you go through the security station and there's there's MPs there with, you know, machine guns and you go through a metal detector and make sure you don't have cameras or anything you get on a bus and they drive you into this like half mile long tunnel uh, and then you get off the bus and you're, there's the huge blast door you know it's like wow. eight feet thick or whatever and the tunnel doesn't dead end into the blast door by the way the tunnel goes all the way through the mountain because if a nuclear blast hits they want the force of the blast to go right. through instead of butting up against it a door. It goes through the mountain like Buck Rubanzai. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you walk in, and the cool thing is there's it's in a gigantic cavern, and the buildings, it's it's a collection of individual buildings connected with those sort of accordion-like uh, mm. hallway connectors, and they're all built on these gigantic springs that are like four feet in diameter. So if there's a, a, a strike, the buildings can all kind of jostle around. So they around. did have the springs. That's cool. Yeah. and So uh, they got that right. It was like yeah. a bounce house with yeah. nukes. But the uh, you know I got to see the command center, and it was right. kind of a letdown because right. in the movie it's this fantastical movie right. set that looks so cool. And in real life it's like, oh, there's some screens and – it's a couple of guys and right. welcome <laughs> visitors from yeah. Birmingham. Yeah, and and the hallways are all these. They it looks.
looks like a hospital inside. It's really right. boring. Right. But so I was like, hey, this movie's totally inaccurate. Hollywood, <laughs> how could you lie That's to me? Wild. It's, it's kind of like the movies, the Muppet Babies version of Failsafe. You know, and, <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting that you go from you know Doctor Strange Love and Failsafe to like Colossus, the Forbin mm-hmm. Project. You know, in the seventies. And then the 80s. Save it you know, for nuclear week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to talk about anything at this rate. You get to the, uh, you get to the 80s and then, you know, it's, it's kids, you know, who are dealing with the, you know, and it was that whole era of um, the day after. So people right. like to think that Duck and well, Cover the, was the heyday of the nuclear Because the hippie generation didn't want to deal with it. So they said, oh, let's let the kids take care of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, you know, but the 80s. Red dawn, you know, you got yeah. kids fighting. The nuclear the... threat was still very much with us with the day after and yeah. America. And, and these kind of films that we're dealing with sort of nuclear apocalypse and now nobody even you know thinks about it which is you know probably you know worse um, but um, so anyway yeah well, War Games great great suggestion you know on some level um, I, I think it we can't say enough about that script because I think the reason why the uh, the movie holds up the way that it does today and why it felt so smart at the time was just because it was so it was so well written. That tone to me was was there, like in what like those in, in what they were getting out of those kids, which was coming out of like, I the would, characters that were written for them. I would agree up to a point. There are a couple scenes that are oh, absolutely sure. cringeworthy, like the scene right after they meet with Falcon and they're out sitting next to the next to the uh, lake. And uh, you say, you know, he starts saying, I, I, I don't even know how to swim. You know, I, I you know, we're, we're all going to die. And, we, and it's a little bit dead on the nose and it's a little cringeworthy. But other than right. those kind of scenes, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And the character of uh, uh, David Lightman, you know, absolutely acts like a real teenager would. Yeah. Well, and, the, and the adults don't seem stupid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like Coyote. Yeah. The voice no, no, no. Peter, Peter Coyote it's isn't in that. It's a, you're thinking about E.T. Oh, yeah, I am. I am totally thinking <laughs> yeah. about it. You're right. Peter Coyote has nothing to do with War Games. No, it's, it's, it's Dabney, Dabney, yeah, no, it Dabney was, Coleman. Dabney Coleman, was it yes. Really? The great yeah, okay. Dabney Coleman okay. yeah. who, who doesn't get enough love. Um, yeah. who, uh, you, who are you going to Paris with? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of you know not getting enough love, I mean, we, obviously we talked about how great Ali Sheedy is. Yeah. And I, in fact, I had a girlfriend in high school that looked just like her and totally that reminded me. I, so I had a huge crush on Ali Sheedy, and then I started dating Jennifer, and it was like, oh, it's like great. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, the, the Matthew Broderick, we haven't really talked about how right. great he is in that yeah. role. And he just gave a succession of really wonderful performances through the 80s. And um, I just, uh, you know, he's like so. Between him and Michael J. Fox, they were like the teenagers. Because, yep. or... They should have yeah, been a buddy totally. cop. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Matthew Broderick and and and, and, Ma- and Michael J. Fox really defined what it was like to be a teenager in the uh, in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, Same more so I think than or how we wanted to be. Well, as because teenagers. I would say you know yeah. Anthony Michael Hall was a reality probably, <laughs> and then the, you know, but because you know somebody like uh, Matthew Broderick and Ferris Bueller or whatever was what you aspired to be the cool snarky guy, and War Games is sort of a combination of that, mm-hmm. and he, he just does it so well. And then of course in his Neil Simon trilogy, he also right. is, mm-hmm. is wonderful. So Tuesday, so say we all. Sure, so say we all. Um, War Games Wednesday, Ashley. Are we actually going to have a real video game movie? Or well, we hit for the cycle. You know, here? it's it's not just video game week here on the four thirty movie. <laughs> Apparently, it's also Dabney Coleman week. Nice, Uh-oh. because my pick for Wednesday 
is 1984's <laughs> Cloak and Dagger. Okay, oh that's my interesting. God. In which <laughs> bring the ET into it too, yeah. Paranoid schizophrenic 11-year-old befriends a video game hero, goes on a violent rampage, ending in an airplane bombing. Uh, <laughs> it is heartwarming and um, it's wonderful. I mean, uh, so that's that's perhaps an overly realistic read of kind of what happens in that film. It's basically a, it's a child's you know wish fulfillment mm-hmm. film. Right. He like he projects the hero um, of his favorite video game like as his his father, right. um, and it's really about that relationship. And Henry Thomas is awesome, who you might remember from from a e. little T. movie called E.T. Yeah. Exactly. He's just he was just a great child. And of course, actor. Peter Coyote. No and way. Peter Coyote <laughs> and, and Dabney and Coleman. Henry Fonda. Big deep callback to five weeks ago. Dabney Coleman plays the video game hero, mm. who you know teaches the kid to shoot people in what the nuts. What kind of video game is that? That Dabney Coleman is the hero. I know. I right? can't. I can't even imagine that game. Or if it would be popular, which it would. I just want to say while we're doing the Dabney Coleman Appreciation Society (laughs) meeting that he was on a show that doesn't get any love now, that is barely remembered, but was so groundbreaking. Do you remember Buffalo Bill? Oh, Buffalo Bill. Yes. He was so great. And that was a terrific show. (laughs) And, you know, it's not on streaming. You know, no one talks about it. But that was like one of the great comedies, you know. I mean, here they're remaking Murphy Brown and a lot of other shows. Like Buffalo Bill was was pretty awesome. If I I don't even remember that much about it other than that Dabney Coleman was great. That was the show (laughs) about the serial killer who keeps collecting women and putting them in the basement. And it was brought to us by Dove Body Lotion. That was not it. Wasn't he a TV, uh, like a TV uh, host or? Yeah, he was like a, yeah. a TV anchor or something, something yeah, like he that. Yeah, he was like, yeah, but but really like a, a, abrasive. And this is back, you know, pre-Fox so when that himself, was so cute. Basically. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. So cloak and dagger. Cloak and dagger. Yeah. What a great, uh, what a great, <laughs> uh, great suggestion. So, I have to be honest. I've only seen it once, and I, I think it was on HBO, and I was hardly watching it. See again. I think it's a it's a matter of kind of how old yeah um, I was when I when I saw that film. Didn't Tom Holland write that? Yes, he did. Yeah, he had Good just pick. done Fright Night. Yep, mm-hmm. and uh, Psycho Two, and then he did Cloak and Dagger. He he was and having he a good. He was like Jeffrey Bohm, like in the eighties. He was like one of these great screenwriters and then I think after Cloak and Dagger yeah he sort of disappeared but he he also was on fire with some of those films Fright Night is fantastic mm-hmm. and, yep. um, I think he wrote Psycho 2 he did yeah, that's what yeah, I said Psycho what 2 okay. he did Psycho 2 which which is an interesting film because you know to come back and sequelize Psycho after uh, you know 30 20. years or whatever it was at the time 20 years I mean it's pretty amazing that that movie is not a total travesty uh, you know, and has some things going for it, but we'll save that for yes. another <laughs> movie about it. We'll Paradise save that for horror, horror, horror sequel week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Questionable yeah. sequel. I week. could talk about Psycho Two and Psycho Three for a while because I I'm, I find those movies fascinating, even though I don't particularly like either of them because I'm such a huge fan of the original Psycho. Right. But uh, you know, I, I find both the sequels very interesting. But Tom Holland, I think, was a. Uh, I mean, he he wasn't just kind of creating these these films that like wow we really enjoyed that and that was that was really great like he was actually legitimately like a really good writer i think the the reason why when his movies worked why they worked like why cloak and dagger works is because um there is there is something very real that's beating you know there's a there's a real heart that's beating in these stories um and somebody like henry thomas uh brings that out and mm. you know the the simple fact that 
that we can be in this story with this kid and at the same time, um, you know, want to, you know, we obviously we're, we, we don't want bad things to happen to him because he's a child, but we're also rooting for him with his relationship with his dad. And we're hoping the dad is really as cool, like as his favorite video game character. And then we're also hoping that he gets the medication that he so desperately needs uh, to, to manage his obvious psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of reminds me of that whole era of movies like Gotcha. You know, right. And when you say they don't make movies like that anymore, they really don't make movies like that anymore, for just, better or for worse. Which is kind of too bad. Gotcha. Or Zapped. Or, yeah, yeah, zapped. Yeah, zapped. Oh, my God. Willie Ames turns Dude. invisible. Could you imagine trying to make a movie like Zapped in today's culture? Never, no. never happened. Well, never. you'd have to, you'd have to were, uh, make the, the lead uh, a female. Yeah, yeah, and uh, probably of a uh, a uh, uh, completely different tone. Yeah, I don't. Or you know, look, I think you, know, you could do it with a male, but they'd have to get their comeuppance, you know, for turning invisible and all these wacky shenanigans. You know, it's it's uh, you know where they would learn something from their experience. You know, like, it's awesome to be able. To... Well, to, to, just to to, to, uh, to clarify for our listeners who may not know what the story of Zapped oh, is, please go ahead. I you know I've never really seen the whole thing. It's a guy he gets zapped, he, he gets and powers. gets powers, and he he's a, a, a uses them to chase girls basically. Right. And I'm looking at Deadline. Apparently, the CW has just greenlit that as a TV series <laughs> for next. No, um, <laughs> so uh, freeform. Um, Okay. So yes, Wednesday, cloak and dagger. Wednesday, cloak, cloak and, dagger, and dagger, which brings us to, to you. Thursday and to moi. I want to mention before I get to Thursday because I'm thinking for about a movie, so I, I got to run out the clock. Um, I had a Psycho Two one sheet on my wall <laughs> as a kid. That and Conan the Barbarian and and, and Revenge of the Jedi. I don't know oh, when yeah. you said Psycho. I hadn't thought about that in years, but it was a great sheet. But it had the house. It was a great mm. picture of the house, yep. and then that awesome font, that Psycho font. Yep. Wasn't that I like had a thing for serial killers, or <laughs> you know? But it was more that I loved that image. Soon to be seen as a T-shirt on the four thirty movie.com. Four thirty movie.com. Okay. Well, guys, you know there's a lot of video game movies we haven't discussed. Street, Street Fighter, <laughs> nine to five. Uh, so uh, you know, Street Fighter, Resident Evil, Super Mario um, Brothers. Obviously, oh. I can't put you know House of the Dead or Dead or Alive in the contention, nor would I. Um, but I do have my my pick. So I know you've been waiting for an actual video game movie. I'm not going to give you one. <laughs> I I would uh, I would like to nominate the last Starfighter. Oh yes, excellent Last Starfighter. Um, the truly the beginning of the CGI era, uh, which you know unfortunately it, it wasn't quite ready for prime time. But uh, you know you have Robert Preston. Um, you have a young. I mean, for people who don't know the movie, it, it, it you know it's just delightful. It's and like the ultimate wish fulfillment film for a kid a who's a game video game player. It's like, yeah. Mom, you think I'm wasting all my time playing video games? Well, I just got picked by aliens to save the universe <laughs> because I'm so good at the video game. And I would actually argue that it's this movie that 
is the forerunner of CG technology I in said films, that. Yeah. rather yeah. than Tron. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because all the CG is intended to represent physical models, uh, you know, in yeah, any other photo movie. Realistic. It, it sure. would have been photoreal yeah. physical models sure. in any other world. Yeah. And uh, I think it's just miraculous. It's the first time that, uh, you know, sort of realistic textures were put on things. And I, when I first saw it, uh, in the movie theater, I was just bowled over, and I love this movie. And um, Robert Preston is unmatched. He's he's brilliant, and he plays it with such flair and such enjoyment that um, such it's just it's just such delightful to yeah. watch. And uh, you know, um, Lance Guest, who plays uh, Alex Rogan, the the uh, lead, is uh, just slightly a little too old for. The character that he's playing, but it still works. It's not the years; it's the mileage. Well, no you doubt. grow up in a trailer park, you're going to look 32. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there are a couple of other really the great edition, edition 80s just... staples in this movie that uh-huh. I love. You know, Danner Hurlihy. Oh, he's you know, so who great. was not only great in this movie as Greg, but also, but also in RoboCop. In RoboCop, you know, as the head of OCP, one of our future sponsors, no doubt. That's right. And uh, I know throwing a lot of money around on the internet, uh, you know, these support Detroit. And uh, then uh, also I loved him in Halloween 3. Not a popular movie, but... but uh, interesting. Uh, inter- fascinating. And I was totally in love with Catherine Mary Stewart. Well, there oh, you yeah. go. Except, yes, uh, I agree. I mean, Night of the Comet. Yep. I mean, she was another staple of 80s movies yeah. that, yeah, you couldn't be a teenager and not love Catherine Mary Stewart. She was just a great girl next door. She was just, you know. One little bit of trivia, as her grandmother in it is Meg Wiley, who was the head keeper in The Cage, yeah. the, the Star Trek. Yeah, uh, Granny uh, Gordon. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, she, so uh, she was the, the head keeper in the, um, in the absolutely. Or the keeper head, as you, you know. And of course, I mean the Craig Saffin's music score it's, is tremendous. It's glorious. I have I have a little story about that. Uh, I got to work on the DVD release of Last Starfighter, and we put together a uh, basically a day of interviews for everybody we could find who worked on the movie. And uh, we went over to Nick Castle's house, the director, and had basically an all day party. And people would come into this room, and we would uh, uh, photograph them and, and uh, shoot them with their interviews. And Craig Safin was there, and he came down, and he started playing on the piano in the living room the last Starfighter theme, and everyone started gathering around, and it was it brought me to tears. It was so beautiful. And all these people who had worked on the movie were, were um, you know, feeling the love. And uh, Ron Cobb was there, mm-hmm. and he and uh, he and Jonathan Betchel, who wrote it, were goofing around in the, in the kitchen talking about how fun it would be to have a Last Starfighter musical, and they started <laughs> singing, uh, singing these songs that should belong in the musical. It was just really amazing. Why don't you explain who Ron Cobb is? Ron, Ron Cobb is a legendary... Is a legendary concept artist, one of my uh, one of my uh, idols. Uh, I got to work with him a little bit on the Abyss, but um, he designed basically everything that's in the movie that is uh, not a person. Um, and uh, he and uh, Jim Bissell uh, was the you know was the production designer. He built the sets, but Ron did all the heavy lifting and designed all the. Uh, uh, all the stuff, and actually helped develop the 3D software that made it possible. He helped he helped them figure out a way to build the models because there was you know there was no way they to do it. Figuring they the were stuff figuring out. it out on the fly. Yeah. And of course, Rick Sternbeck, who was uh, a concept artist mm-hmm. on uh, Star Trek 
uh, the next generation, also worked on Last Starfighter, and he uh, did some design work too. But uh, Ron Cobb was a, is a giant, and yes. uh, of course, he, I you know, love he his designed work. a bunch of aliens for Star Wars. Yeah. He did uh, Conan the Barbarian. He worked on Alien. Alien, Alien yeah. just wonderful work. Yeah. Can we talk about the 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 most important thing in the Last Starfighter? Death Blossom. Death Blossom. Yeah. <laughs> now, now look, and, and the gritty, realistic, you know, version of of the Last Starfighter. I think that the Starfighter pilots would probably call that the Vomit Blossom, right? Because wow, like, and well, you, it had never been tested, so that's they true. didn't really know. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed it was <laughs> supposed to release one large blossom. Right. right. They didn't know it was going to spin around shooting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool because you've never seen a fighter like that. Right. Ever since Star Wars, everything was sort of patterned on an X-Wing, which right. was basically patterned on an F-15. Right. Moving you know, as though it, there were an atmosphere, which of yeah. course is ridiculous. And Last Starfighter was the first like where it really felt like this is something you could yeah, imagine Yeah, it had a space. non-earthbound uh, maneuvering ability. It was great. Exactly. And it just looked well, effing awesome. I, I actually watched this movie on Blu-ray uh, recently and with the audio commentary, and they talked mm-hmm. about how they were designing the heads-up display yep. for the gunner and were trying to uh, give the sense of the ship moving in three dimensions, where when you had seen the Star Wars films, they were the visual design of those dogfights was very much very sort of two-dimensional linear, linear indicated two-dimensional two. thinking <laughs> that's right <laughs> and but they were going for a more three-dimensional look so that's why you get the spherical uh indicators right. on the heads-up display and and the the, the, the the chair moving around to it's target just ships. so well designed and thought out yeah um it's it's so much fun to watch and i i you know there's been rumors about them doing sequel uh, work on it and i just hope that whatever they do uh it doesn't spoil our wonderful memories well i uh, well, i know will. you know a, a friend of mine a, a colleague on uh, star wars rebels gary witta yes. who wrote rogue one is a super fan for last starfighter and he's been attached uh, recently for a, a sequel correct and uh i i do not doubt his passion and love for the material and i know he had been working with i believe jonathan b tool correct so let's hope they can recapture the magic if yeah they... i i just want to say you know to to sort of sum up that uh you know, I took my kids to see it recently at the New Beverly before the New Beverly closed for renovations, and they loved it. It was great to see it on the big screen. It's, you know, interesting to see how technology has moved on because you could do those effects now on your phone, you know. That's right. Um, but uh, I, I would be remiss if before we wrap this up, I didn't acknowledge what you said about Craig Safin's uh, a magnificent score. It really is, you know, we talk about the brilliance of, of, of John Williams' scores and those iconic scores. Mm-hmm. The Last Starfighter is really, you know, a pretty great space. It stands up right yeah. there next you know, to it. That, and that theme yeah. is, is, and I think if more than any other element about this movie that endures, that, that score is really something uh, there's special. There's a great uh, two-disc uh, soundtrack album mm-hmm. for that that came out last year or two. That's yeah. wonderful. Now, right. we didn't put this in the Shadow of Star Wars show, did we? No, but no, I don't think it belonged to yeah. Shadow of Star Wars. I but, think it belongs to Video Game Week. No, it, it, it totally does, but it also sort of fits with that, and I think this is the best of those Star Wars sort of homages, actually. I don't know, because I kind of feel like when we did in the Shadow of Star Wars, for the most part, it was movies that existed on an intergalactic scale um, that didn't really involve um, so much Earth as these civilizations. Now, obviously, Moonraker was an exception to that, but it was inspi- but it, Moonraker would not have happened without... 
um, Star Wars. It was movies that were directly a product well, I mean, of Star this Wars. Is, you know, this is the Star League uh, defending against yeah, Zer and the Coda and Armada. I think, video you know, games. This was inspired no, as much by agreed. arcade games agreed. being huge at the time. And, agreed. But you know, had it, there been no Star Wars, there would be no last Star It is the same basic story as Star Wars where you have this kid that's in a dead end, you know, mm-hmm. situation out in the middle of nowhere dreaming of things. Obi-Wan comes down in his star car, yeah. takes him away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he has this ability, this special ability. Yep. Um, and he's swept up into a larger battle, and he gets to, uh, you know, sort of save the day mm-hmm. and, and fires torpedoes into the hangar bay and blow up the big yeah. ship he's at the end. It's very just similar. like Luke Skywalker. He's got the, you know, the the clone self that uh, <laughs> right. has an awkward yeah, encounter beta, with beta his girlfriend. Unit. Beta unit. <laughs> okay, I'll buy that for a dollar. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a movie that I always thought was kind of corny when it came out, but. It like a corny. lot of 80s movies that I that. thought were corny at the time, I look at them now and I, I just appreciate how sort of solid they are. I wonder if that means that you've become less corny as you've grown older or, or more, more corny. corny. Well, here, more. let me ask you this. I mean, here we are talking about these movies 30 years later. Part of that's nostalgia, but part of it is because these movies hold up. 30 years from now, are we going to be talking about movies that are coming out this year? I don't really think so. I'm not so. even talking about the movies that came out this year this year. <laughs> <laughs> um before we move to Friday, I want to ask you all a really quick question, which is applicable to Video Game Week. What was the video game system, if any, that you had in your house? Uh, Atari 2600. Okay. We never had video games in our house. The closest I had was one of those uh, little battery-powered uh, Donkey Kong, uh, uh-huh. Coleco uh, uh-huh. Donkey Kong yeah. uh, mini arcade you didn't games. have Mattel Electronics Auto Racing. I, and I, I never Battle had Star any Galactica of that. And... Never had any of that stuff because we, you know, we were poor and uh, well, you know, middle class. I, and... I have the Galactica one, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> but how much you want for it? But I, I hung <laughs> out in the arcade in the original box still. <sighs> when it I, works. When I was in high school, I hung out in the arcade. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you know, played all the games constantly. I loved the Star Wars game, the uh, Atari Vector uh, Star Wars game, and uh, Tron and. Uh, all those that you know, kids today think of as uh, you know, grandpa games. <laughs> but it was so much fun because it, not only was it fun to play, but it was fun to sort of expand on your um, grown upness and your ability to uh, exist on your own for a little period of time. And it represents freedom. And you know, if you had a pocket full of quarters, you could mm-hmm. spend the whole day. Yeah. And uh, what about you, Ashley? I had an Intellivision. Oh, you nice. Oh, yeah. I wanted yeah. one of those. That was a great. And did you have the voice synthesizer for B-52? B-52 no, bomber. B-17, B-17 oh, bomber. Oh, B-17 bomber, yeah. I didn't have it. Uh, I didn't. That, but that was pretty I, cool. my favorite games were Tron yeah. um, oh, and yeah. Pitfall. Right. I played the unholy hell out of Pitfall. Um, yeah. And again, because... In television you know, pitball. Yeah, pitfall. Tell, yes. Wow, I've only was, played the Atari. It was amazing. Okay, well, I can take you like and Dean raise you one. Jones. Okay. Did you have ColecoVision? No. I had the Odyssey 2. Oh, God. So we did not have Pitfall. We had the knockoff, Pickaxe Pete. Right. So whenever, you know, Atari would get all the great licenses and then in television inevitably, Odyssey 2, because it had much smaller base, like I think me and six other kids had it, um, we would always, so instead of Space Invaders, 
you would get Alien Attack. Right. Yeah. And it would just be like the knockoff of whatever was super popular at the time. And we, I took such pride in that because it was like, think different. You know, you all have Atari 2600. Every, all the kids I babysat for had Atari 2600. But, you know, we had the Odyssey 2. And it had a keyboard, which it basically never used for anything. But it was like trying to convince you that it was like a computer, right. that it could do all these things. You your parents on it. I need this because I can yeah. learn how to program. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they actually had a computer programming cartridge like where that was in one of the games Basic where it's like learn to con- cartridge to program you know and um but i mean there were so many of these games that were just like these ridiculous knockoffs of uh you know one of asteroids was ufo right. <laughs> <laughs> you know and but, I, but but you know we we loved it and it was just so freaking bizarre <laughs> So what are we going to do for Friday? Well, that's a good question. I sure hope there's an after-school special in our future. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's some more recent films that we could consider. Uh, I would, I, I would throw out there a a more recent film, a documentary, The King of Kong. Oh yes, which yes, is yes. a wonderful documentary about this uh, this Donkey Kong championship. Uh, this high score thing. It's got heroes. It's got villains. Uh-huh. It's got weirdos. It's got video giant game monkeys. history. <laughs> giant yeah. monkeys. Uh, it's a really fun, super entertaining uh, documentary about uh, about video games or it's, about Donkey Kong in particular. It's it's crazy. It's a crazy movie because you get you get enthralled by this story of these. You know, Steve Wiebe is the challenger, right? Mm-hmm. And he's this guy who just lives with his wife and kids and he has a little Donkey Kong game in his garage mm-hmm. and he just plays it and plays it and he's he's recording himself playing and you hear the kids yelling in the background and it's just so endearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they set up this other guy. Uh, what's his name? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. The Hot Sauce King. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to get letters, oh, but, uh, uh, yeah. but down in Florida, who is like the, the Dark Lord, he's, uh, he's, the Pac-Man he, champion. He has, a, he has a, a mullet that uh, that looks like Darth Vader's helmet, basically. And he uh, is just so evil in his, uh, in his complacency about being the top scorer holder of Donkey Kong. Billy Mitchell. Billy, Billy Mitchell. Uh, yes, of Billy course. Mitchell. Billy Mitchell. Wow. Um, and this the uh, of carrier based air power. This group <laughs> <laughs> this, bomb Tokyo. The, the, this um this arcade uh, basically called the Twin Galaxies that became the clearinghouse for high scores in the eighties for video games. It's just there's so much politics and intrigue and it's just so amazing. <laughs> All the that weirdo you get, characters, yeah, the guys, judges l- and scores. Let me say something, please. No. I mean, it's a great suggestion, a great suggestion. It's a great documentary. But, you know, we're here to do video game movies, movies about video games. We have not done one adaptation of video games. So allow me to suggest an alternative to fighting. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and that Tell would us be your suggestion. Zach Penn's Game Over, which was about the hunt for the missing E.T. cartridges. Oh, Atari, yeah, I just watched that the last week, <laughs> yeah. too. Atari Game Over about, yes. Yeah. It's only just over an hour long. It is fantastic. It's really entertaining. Because it was this old... And it's so much more entertaining than the game itself. Myth. Oh. That apoc- people thought it was apocryphal that when, you know, e- the E.T. game came out for Atari, it was so bad that literally they basically 
could not sell them and put buried them in a landfill. That's, that's not entirely true. The, the game is there are far worse games for the Atari. But anyway, the, that, the problem was it was myth. just they this just the overproduced. The, that's legend, the, myth. the yes, legend, the legend, and that they had a they had overproduced these games and and they get rid of them. They had to dump them in a landfill somewhere. You know, just tens of thousands of these cartridges. Well, Zach Penn, the screenwriter, made this wonderful documentary uh, where he goes in search and he actually, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, finds. These well, cartridges. He, he enlists the aid of archaeologists and uh, you know <laughs> Indiana historians Jones and, and they, the Raiders of the Lost ET it's, game. It's really, it's really fun. they they find adventure the, has uh, a new name. <laughs> they find the old records of where garbage was dumped in this landfill at different months of the year, and they figured out what year those cartridges were dumped. and And it's it's a really fun documentary. The main story is how Atari screwed over the guy who was forced to design this game by giving him what was it. A month Six and a weeks half, or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to make this uh, thing, to make beginning this, to, end. to make this game from yeah from start to finish, and it was rushed so much, and they wanted an ET game so much that they were willing to ship anything, and they did. And they kind of it destroyed this poor guy's career. And he had made some of the best-selling Atari games ever. Yars Revenge was his big game, and that was one of the top-selling games of all time. And, well, and apparently Yars Revenge was ET, so. <laughs> Well, so I think but, Resident Evil fans are going to be awfully disappointed well, when they hear this week. And, you know, well, there's, we, there's, there's, well, there's a couple others that yeah. we could we could mention. Wreck-It Ralph. Right. Oh, but, absolutely. But, I mean, uh, you know, a movie that was actually based on a video game that on its own terms is actually pretty good. And uh, Mortal Kombat gave the world Paul W.S. Anderson, which is a kind of a mark against it. But for like <laughs> 10 minutes there, we thought like, um, you know, that guy was – Kind of interesting, Look, I, um, and I, I would argue that he is interesting. Yeah. I, I think what he did with those early Resident Evil movies and 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 Mortal Kombat, but you know, you look at his first movie, Shopping, and you know, Event Horizon. I think you know he's a huge genre fan. I think he's done some really you know really you know terrific work. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I I don't like Mortal Kombat enough to say that it should be Friday. I actually, as much as I, I'm advocating for Atari Game Over. I did. I do think King of Kong is probably yeah, the better suggestion. Um, and does anyone mention Ready Player One? Yeah, oh, I was about to. God, okay. Yeah, uh, that's a great suggestion too for Friday. I think it's a little too recent. I don't too, know. Soon. Too, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> we can't get the rights to show it. Is that what you're saying? Um, <laughs> we don't have the window yet. You know, I really wanted to love that movie. Me too. Yeah. And I, I liked it. I couldn't do it. But I couldn't. I didn't love it. I, I, it gave me everything I ever thought I wanted, and yet... The problem is, in my mind, Steven Spielberg is the perfect person to make this movie and the worst person to make this movie. Why do you say that? Because the, he's the perfect person to bring all these sort of uh, disparate um, uh, uh, subjects into the movie to be able to do it, like Roger Rabbit bringing all the he characters has the in. Juice it's to be so able funny to get, you say has, that. He has the juice to be able to but no. he's too close to it. Mm-hmm. He's so scared of revering some of which is his own work from the past that it isn't given any joy. There's no joy in it. And so I think it fails. It failed for me based on those things. I get it. Uh, 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 does anyone want to make a case for Ready Player One or should we go with King of Kong for Friday? I think King of Kong is great. great and there, there's one other film that I think has a... a a, some, something of a legacy, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, which is uh, not really about video games, but the structure of the story is like it's 
a video game. You know? Yeah, I, like think it's, I think it's a stretch. Or, or even something like Edge of Tomorrow, which mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is a film that you know, you're know you sort of repeating time. It's sort of like you're getting to play the same level over and over again in a video game until you beat it. All good points. But again, you know, this is video game week. We haven't actually... There's not one video game adaptation in our video game week. But that's what you can expect from the 430 movie. You know? <laughs> um, Always expect the Monday. unexpected. Uh, Tron. Tuesday. War Games. Cloak and Dagger on Wednesday. Thursday, The Last Starfighter. And Friday? The King of Kong. And this was video game week on the 430 movie. This is Mark Altman. I invite you to... Purchase my new book. So say we all. Uh, Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, wherever books are sold. I started reading it uh, this last week, and it's terrific. Here's your $10. <laughs> uh, I also uh, will be at the New York Comic Con doing a panel on Battlestar Galactica A to Z, as well as moderating a Ron Moore Masterclass. Tickets are on sale for October 5th and 6th at uh, New York Comic Con uh, website. And speaking of websites, check out our fantastic new website, the430movie.com. It's just 430movie.com. 430movie.com. Right, no colon. No colon and no the. Colonectomy.com. And you can find access all of our podcasts, including our early two episodes, which have nothing to do with the 430 (laughs) movie whatsoever. The pilot. They're the pilot. You know, it's the the cage. Well, that's what. Yeah. We were just joking about that earlier. <laughs> so at we, least we're on the same page. We didn't have a format, and and it was great, but it was like every other podcast out there. And then on episode three, we realized what the show was. So those episodes are still there. And if you're curious to see Jeffrey Hunter on an original two podcast, <laughs> check him out. Uh, also, there's some great, uh, uh, um, fantastic 430 movie swag on our website that Darren, uh, you'll see his genius as a conceptual designer when you uh, check out the thing. And uh, before we go, I just want you to uh, continue the conversation on social media by following Steve Melching at... At Stephen Melching. Darren Dockerman. At Darren Dock. One R. Uh, at... Ashmaster Zero, spelled Z-E-R-O. And you can find me, Mark A. Altman, at Mark A. Altman on Twitter and Instagram. So thank you for joining us for the 430 movie. We'll be back with an all-new theme week next week. Thanks for joining us for a special encore presentation of the 430 movie. We'll be back with all new episodes this spring for season two. Meanwhile, you can follow our other podcasts, Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate podcast for Star Trek fans with a life wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, join Chase Masterson if you're a Star Trek Discovery fan for Disco Nights on Sundays every week. And if you're a fan of unmade movies, films that were developed but never saw the light of a projector bulb, you don't want to miss Steven Scarlatta and Josh Miller hosting Best Movies Never Made, which is available on Mondays wherever you listen to podcasts. These are all great shows worthy of your attention. So while you're jonesing for more episodes of the 430 movie, I hope you'll check out some of our other podcasts on the Electric Surge Network. Meanwhile... Special thanks to our engineer, Bill Ritter, who makes it all possible, our producers, Natalie Mascali and Cynthia Hodge, and, of course, Dean Devlin, who makes it all possible here at the Electric Surge Network. Thank you, and we're looking forward to being back live with you in the spring with all new theme weeks here on the 430 Movie. Eyewitness News starts now.
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.